Good morning. If we haven't met, my name is Sam McLaughlin, and I'm the senior pastor here. And like Gracie said, if you're a visitor, we're so glad you're here to worship with us today. In front of you in the pew rack is a yellow visitor card, and we would love for you to fill that out and hand it to us on your way out the door. We have a gift for you, and we would just love to connect with you. If you're online, we say welcome to you as well uh, once more. Uh, This morning, before I get started, I am really thrilled to get to be the one to reveal to you uh, our Christmas offering. Uh, Some of you know that we collected a Christmas offering both to meet our budgetary needs of the church, but also with hopes to give some away to our partners across the street at H.G. Hill Middle School. Uh, We're huge partners with the middle school. We help with tutoring and school supplies. Um, We help to distribute uh, food and diapers. Uh, Many of you don't see that they'll come over here for banquets and for leadership trainings. And so uh, we love H.G. Hill. And one of our big partners over there is Maggie Dix. And Maggie is here today. She was coming originally uh, just to be able to stand at the door and thank you for your gifts. But once I found out she was like really here in person, I was uh, wanted to invite her to come up. So I want you to see Maggie. Maggie is the on-site community achieves coordinator at HG Hill and um, just really our friend, you know, our partner in ministry. And uh, Maggie does not know what the total is yet. And so church, uh, today we are giving $8,506.88 to HG Hill Middle School. <laughs> I asked Maggie if she wanted to speak since she was here, so we're going to give her a minute to do that. (laughs) I will be brief because those of you who know me, I know I am not a person of a few words. But, and Sam asked me, did you want to be surprised by the number you want me to tell you? I said, no, I want to be surprised. And now I'm kind of rethinking that because I'm I'm, I'm a little overwhelmed at that generosity, and I can't thank you enough for it. It will go, did we say this? It's going to build playground equipment. As long as I've been at H.G. Hill, every year I have a list of things I want to do. Get tutors, check. Do food boxes, check. Have a wonderful Christmas. That's the one that you uh, didn't mention, that every student in our school got a gift thanks to your generosity. And every year it'll say, figure out a way to get play equipment for kids. And every year I don't do it because... It's expensive, it's hard to figure out what to do for middle school kids, and then I learned about Gaga Ball. And if you don't know what it is, ask your kids or your grandkids, they will tell you it's everything, and they love it. And my, when the opportunity presented itself, Sam said, what do you think you would do with that money? I said, I know exactly what I would do with that money. And we'll work with a group called Nashville Tools for Schools, who some of you might know, these are retired woodworkers who build things. They will build it. It'll go right in front of where the gym is. So it'll be very visible. And it'll be something that kids from the church, kids from the neighborhood, people on bikes, people walking down that sidewalk will be able to use. We're the last remaining school over there. So, you know, Mr. Hill, 60 years ago, Sam, I think, told you this. He envisioned for the land he donated churches, schools, and recreation. We're the last remaining school over there. I'm also a neighbor in this neighborhood, right across the street, basically. And I have a vested interest in what is a very unique neighborhood, but an increasingly popular neighborhood. 
but it, it needs some things. It needs, it needs some spaces. And so your generosity is going to make that happen in accordance with what Mr. Hill envisioned 60 plus years ago. So thank you from the bottom of my heart. Thank you so much. Thank you, Maggie. We're going over the cents up here. Can we want it to be to the dollar, okay? <laughs> 88 cents. <laughs> Thank you, Maggie. Today we are starting our new sermon series called No Time Like the Present. Of course, it is a new year, and for many of us, that means it's a time to set intentions and resolutions. And as disciples, this is a moment for us to think about, what does my walk with God look like? How do I want to grow? How do I want to transform and be changed? Uh, as I thought about this series, it really has multiple angles, different ways that we could kind of spin this phrase. Uh, one thing we could say is that there's nothing like being present to what is happening right in front of you, right? We practice that even when we come to church. Like, how do I let go of everything I've just experienced? How do I not think about my to-do list or my yummy lunch? You know, how am I just present in this space to listen and to worship God. And we do that in so many other ways, right? We get distracted by our phones. Uh, we, we start to move so fast in our lives that we can't even enjoy like the event that we have spent all this time planning for. You know, so what does it look like to be present to what is happening right in front of you? Uh, we could say also that there is growth to be found in being present to yourself. I hope you understand what I mean by that, like being present to your own needs and desires and wants, noticing, being aware of. This really is the only way that we can lead to like healthier versions of ourselves and behavior changes that we want to make. Uh, I get those daily devotionals from Richard Rohr, and on January 1st, I feel like they always send the same sentence, and it's this, today, you can lay the groundwork for continued growth without making any resolutions except for one. Let go of the past, connect with yourself, wake up and be present. Another way we could think about it is that sometimes we feel like there is no time. Forget like the present, like there is no time, period. We're running out of time, we don't have enough time, we're never gonna get all of these things done. We get stuck in this mindset of scarcity, not having enough, versus abundance, like it's all gonna work out. Uh, one of my friends who's the pastor at McKendree United Methodist Church, Stephen Handy, he put it this way, what, uh, what if instead of saying, there's no time to do more, we started saying we are going to let God do more with our time. You know, what does it look like to surrender that time to him? Uh, but of course, if you think about this whole phrase kind of as is, uh, it's sort of like a YOLO statement. Do you get what I mean by that? Like, there's no time but the present. You only live once. If not now, then when? You know, sometimes we think we've got plenty of time to do this next thing, uh, but you know, what if we don't? I told the staff, uh, we were kind of joking around, I said, I'm gonna come in and I'm gonna flip an hourglass over and just tell people your time's running out, you know? Like, and so really, you know, like sand through the hourglass, so are the days of our lives. 
right? It even makes a noise, so it makes you extra anxious, <laughs> right? Okay, I'm going to lay it on its side. <laughs> it's scary. But really, uh, that's not meant to be harsh. It's actually meant to inspire us. It's meant to motivate us, like to remind us we have this one wild and precious life and we've got to live it. This is not a dress rehearsal. This is the main event. And so all of those things that God calls us to and nudges us towards, what if we like stop dragging our feet about them? Uh, what if we got started today? And what if that next step led us to everything Jesus has in store for our lives or for our families or for our communities? Last week, uh, we looked at the story of Jesus being presented in the temple for circumcision, and Steve talked about these two prophets who had been waiting to see Jesus, Simeon and Anna, and uh, part of his point was like, they didn't miss Jesus when he was right before them. They didn't miss the light. And so I, I think our story today sort of continues along that theme. These magi didn't miss the light. They didn't miss the encounter with Jesus that it led them to. So here's the background. At that time, it was a common belief that when a world leader like a king was born, there would be a stellar phenomenon across the sky. And historians tell us that Jews and Romans and Persians, all different people were watching the skies looking for this sign of the birth of an extraordinary king. And so what we think is that these magi were likely uh, Persian or Babylonian men from a priestly class of people who studied the stars and also had this keen ability to interpret dreams. And so it makes sense then with that background to see these men like looking out in the sky, seeing this sign, traveling to Herod and asking him, where is this child who's been born king of the Jews? Uh, they want to go and pay him respect. Now this terrified Herod, why? Because he was the king, right? He didn't really want that like matchup. And so he calls the chief priests and the scribes and he says, what are they talking about? They basically quote Micah chapter five, verse two, like this king will come out of Bethlehem, uh, will come out of Judah. And so he calls the, the wise men to him in secret. He tells them to go and search for Jesus and to report back to him so he can go and pay his respects as well. Of course, we know that's not his real intention. And so the Magi set out on this journey, which would have taken them a really long time. And they arrive at the house where the child Jesus, more like a toddler, was with Mary and it says, when they saw him, they bowed down and worshiped him. That's the first thing they did. They bowed down and they worshiped him. It says, they then opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. One of you in the church actually sent me some insight that I knew, never knew about. Um, it said, unbeknownst to most theologians, there was a fourth wise man who was sent home because he brought fruitcake. <laughs> Never knew that. <laughs> in all seriousness, in this moment, when these people who were outside of the faith of Israel, they were not people looking for a king or looking for a savior, come and encounter Jesus. There is something so compelling and so convincing and so inspiring about him 
that they bow down and they worship him. And the next thing the story tells us is that they defied the earthly king because of this encounter. They didn't listen to his instructions to come back and report where Jesus was. Instead, having been warned in a dream of which they were experts of interpreting, they go home a different way. And we have to believe, not only do they go home a different way, they leave as different people. And I really can't think of anything else that we as God's people should want to encounter in a new year, right? To be so compelled, so inspired by Jesus that it causes us to take new routes and take risks that others won't take, that it leads us to be different people. And so my first question for you is how have you encountered Jesus Recently, how is God transforming you now in the present? As I thought about just even a couple of ways that I've encountered Jesus in the last week, uh, I thought of uh, standing around the hospital bed with Harold Bandy right before he was about to have open heart surgery uh, with two of his children and his wife and just like the humor and the warmth and the love, like that exchange that I was a part of. I thought about uh, Bob Little, uh, a person in our church who passed away recently and how I was actually in the room with him holding his hand as he passed, like this sacred moment of meeting God in death. I thought about uh, my family from Austin being here last week and we went to Cheekwood together one night and we were standing around fire pits making s'mores. Or um, just on Thursday, I walked into my office and this amaryllis, uh, that someone gave me five weeks ago that had been dormant this entire time started to bloom as I was sitting in my room. And I mean, from the time I was there in the morning to the time I left, that whole flower came out blooming towards the light. You know, I mean, when we talk about encountering Jesus, we mean the everyday ordinary things. If we are awake to it, if we are present, we can see him everywhere. Like some of you, uh, my son Lewis is in kindergarten and um, he has been on winter break for two and a half weeks. Not some of you have a kid named Lewis, but some of you have kids who have been on winter break for two and a half weeks and you're ready for tomorrow, right? Um, <laughs> but last week, my mom came up here for New Year's Eve and uh, allowed me and my husband to go uh, have dinner and then took my son, Lewis back to Alabama for a couple of days so he could play with his cousins. Uh, while he was there, of course, the second day, he got a fever because that's what <laughs> happens in our household um, and had fever for a couple of days and came home on Thursday night. So Friday morning uh, was just me and Lewis and he's starting to feel better and get back to himself. And I'm off on Fridays, uh, but sometimes I'm not good at being off on Fridays. You know what I mean? So I'm looking at my phone and I'm checking my email, uh, but I realize in the midst of that, you know, that I need to wake up and be present. And there's no time like the present to, to pay attention to him. And so I put my phone over to the side and I had that moment like I know some of you have when you look at your loved ones where you're just like, I'm so grateful for you. I'm so grateful for your love. I'm so grateful for our time together. And just in a couple hours, it was just me and him, you know, like completely present to him. 
Um, I knew he was getting better because for lunch, he said, can I have two popsicles, a hot dog, mac and cheese, and some oatmeal? <laughs> and I said, okay, he's starting to feel better. Actually, I really knew he was better when he said, can I vacuum? <laughs> he wanted to vacuum. Okay, so it's just me and Lewis, and we're playing games, and he wanted to repeat a game that he had seen on the TV show called Bluey. Some of you have heard of Bluey. Uh, it's, about, <laughs> it's about a family of dogs, and the two kids are bingo and Bluey. And in this episode, Bingo and Bluey, are uh, their dad is chasing them around and they have a xylophone in their hands. And every time they hit the xylophone, their dad has to freeze. And so Lewis is like, all right, we don't have a xylophone, uh, but we have a drum. And so he's like, I want you to come towards me and try to get me. And when I hit the drum, you have to freeze, right? So of course, um, I'm freezing in like really awkward positions. Uh, but the second part of the game is that he gets to come up as I'm frozen and adjust my arm so he can make it like more awkward or he can make it more comfortable or he can put things in my arms. I think he put like a baby in my arms one time. And as, as we played this game, I thought, you know, this story about the Magi gives us a posture. It gives us a position and my next question to you is really like, if you were to freeze your posture towards God right now, what would it look like? Does it need some adjusting? And I'm not saying that the posture that you're in is bad or wrong. I had a spiritual director say to me once that you can only be where you are. Right? Part of awareness is knowing where you are. You might wanna make adjustments, but you have to start where you are. And so if you were to freeze your position towards God today, what would it look like? Is your back turned? Do you have kind of like one foot over here with him and one foot over here, like unsure if you really wanna be all in? Are you turned towards him? Or you like the Magi on your knees, bowing, worshiping, surrendering in a place of humility, ready to hand your whole life over to him? And I thought about this position and just like the level of being at the feet of this toddler I thought about all the people in scripture that we read about who are in this very position. The Bible tells us that people brought great crowds of sick and dying and ill people to the feet of Jesus and he healed them. There was a synagogue leader named Jairus who came and fell at the feet of Jesus because his daughter was sick and dying and begged for healing. There was a woman named Mary, while her sister Martha moved around the kitchen very busy. She came and she sat at the feet of Jesus and she listened. I had never noticed this before, but the resurrection story says that when Jesus came back in resurrected form, the women at the tomb came and fell at his feet and clasped them. You know, like something changes in us when we put ourselves in this posture of surrendering, of bowing, of worshiping, healing happens 
we start to hear God's voice. Resurrection takes place. So what if, church, this was our adjustment? This was our orientation. This is where we started 2024. Bowed at the feet of Jesus, present to him, and ready for all that he has in store for us, no matter how much time we have left. Thanks be to God. Amen.